welcome to turn with me this morning to our text, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. We'll read verses 22 through 42 this morning. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind Him in the crowd and touched the hem of His garment. For she said, If I only may touch His clothes, I shall be made whole. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in Himself that power had gone out from Him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched My clothes? But His disciples said to Him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched Me? And He looked around to see her who had done this thing. The woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before Him and told Him the whole truth. And He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. For while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. Thankful for your sweet presence here this morning. Grateful for what You're doing in our lives, Lord. Grateful, Lord, for Your mercy, Your patience, Your kindness. Grateful, God, that when it seems there is no hope, You are always full of hope. I ask this morning, God, that You would anoint me to preach Your Word in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, You would anoint our ears to hear it, the eyes of our hearts to see it. I pray this morning, God, that You would give hope and encouragement to that child of yours this morning who is discouraged. God, I pray that if there be anybody here who is not truly saved, that today would be the day that the blinders would come off and they would run to You and find salvation and none other 
but the sweet, precious, holy name above all names, the name of Jesus. God, have Your way with us. Change us, Lord. Let us leave changed. Not just challenged, but changed. God, let us leave different than when we come. May we know You better uh, when we leave this place and when we come in, Father. We just ask, God, that You would do something great in our midst. We thank You for what You've already done. And pray, God, now for the, uh, the time of preaching, God, that You would anoint it. Have Your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning on the simple thought, it's never too late. It is never too late. In our text, in Mark chapter 5, I, I read the entire text, but I don't really want to preach this morning on anything that has to deal uh, with the woman that was healed in our story. It's a very familiar passage. I've preached on the woman who was healed of the blood disease here. And uh, if you've ever heard the sermon, uh, you know that I believe that was possibly the single greatest, most significant healing that Jesus ever did, um, with the exception of maybe raising somebody back from the dead. But I want us to look at Jairus' story this morning. The Bible tells us that Jairus was a ruler of one of the synagogues. And that Jairus, as a ruler of one of the synagogues, had a daughter who was deathly ill. And we even find out that she eventually died. And we read the end of the story. We know how the story ends. But see, Jairus didn't know that. This morning, I want us to enter into the experience of Jairus. And there's some things I want us to see to start right away. Number one, Jairus was searching for Jesus. When you look at the story of Jairus and you look at this woman who was healed, both of them were searching for Jesus. It is important that we learn to search for Jesus. That when you're looking for answers, look to Jesus. God has one primary answer to all of this world's problems, and that is to show us more of His Son, Jesus. He is the answer to discouragement. He is the answer to life. He is the, the answer to uh, pain and destruction. He is the answer to all of our real needs. Jesus is the answer this morning. And Jairus was searching for Jesus. All of us come to a place where we begin to, all of us who are here this morning, let me say that, come to a place where we begin to search for Jesus based upon different reasons. I just thank God that eventually we began to search for Jesus. But why did Jairus begin to search for Jesus? It's important to understand Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. If you don't know what the synagogues were, they were basically the churches that the Jewish people met on on a regular basis. They're very, very similar to the modern day meeting place that we meet for Christian church. But the rulers of the synagogues were connected with the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And by this time in Mark chapter 5, the plot to take down Jesus had already began within the ranking leadership of the Jewish church of that day. The Pharisees were plotting how to kill him. The, 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 the rulers of the synagogues were, were connected with all that was going on. Certainly, Jairus knew that Jesus was on the radar of his peers. Certainly, Jairus had set in some conversations where people had mocked Jesus some had probably even said he was a heretic worthy of death. That He had heard conversations where uh, men were beginning to determine how are we going to trap him up? How are we going to take this man down? He's a threat to our Jewish belief. He's a threat to our Old Testament customs. 
He's teaching contrary to the customs that we've taught these people for years. Those conversations had entered the ears of Jairus. But something finally happened to Jairus when he didn't care what everybody thought. He didn't care what his peers thought. He didn't care the consequences of what would happen if he searched out Jesus. You see, Jairus had come to a place where he realized what eventually every man, woman, boy, and child has to come to grips with in this world, that there is no hope outside of Jesus. Jairus was a ruler of a synagogue, which means this. It doesn't tell us how wealthy he was. It doesn't necessarily mean that he was incredibly filthy rich. But it does mean that he was well off. We learned something from the story of Jairus. There's some things money cannot buy. Sickness is the great equalizer. When your daughter is lying up on her deathbed, it don't matter how much money you have. No matter how successful you are in the eyes of the world, don't matter how successful all your peers think you are, don't matter where you've risen in this world, and there's certain things in this life that we face that remind us, no matter how successful we look like in this world, this world is not the answer. And this world cannot meet my deepest needs. So Jairus began searching for Jesus. I also think it's interesting, the last thing I want to point out about why was Jairus searching for Jesus, I also think it's interesting, he understood his daughter was at the point of death. He understood that. He was in a hurry. And if we're honest, folks, he waited too long, didn't he? But he, his back was against the wall and he had no other place to go. But I still think it's interesting. He waited till she was just about dead. You know, that's the way we all are. I believe most people never truly get saved, especially those who hold on and wait till they're, you know, uh, in their teen years and, you know, 20, 30, 40. I believe most people never truly get saved until they really come to the end of themselves. Until you realize there is nowhere else to turn, there is nowhere else to go. The ability of humanity, the ability of mankind to have his world messed up, everything fall apart, it is right in front of his face that everything you've ever held to is crumbling, it doesn't work, your marriage is falling apart, maybe your daughter's dying on her deathbed, your world's caving in, there is no hope for anything that, that to, to, to intervene. You need supernatural help. And yet, man, in that situation, still hold on and think, well, I'm okay. I'm going to make it. I'll just toughen up. Just keep trying. Just keep trying. It is overwhelming to me how far it takes for us to finally come to the end of ourselves. When I look at my situation, I look at how messed up my life was, I can't believe it took me as long as it did to come to grips with the truth. Man, you're messed up and you need help. But that's the way most people are. As long as there's any shred of hope that I can do this without God, you just keep trying. That was Jairus' situation. He waited to come until she was almost dead. 
But thank God, he decided to come. And so Jairus begins searching for Jesus. He hears something about where he's at. And, 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 and Jairus goes and he, he approaches Jesus and he tells Jesus, My daughter's about to die, but if you'll come and touch her, she'll live. And Jesus listens to Jairus. You, know, you need to know something this morning. Jesus will listen to you. And Jesus begins to go with Jairus. And I want you to think, what I want us to do this morning is enter into the, to, the, the life of Jairus. I want you to enter into the picture with me. He's tried everything possible. His daughter is dying. And he finally gets to Jesus and Jesus says, I'll come. Now here's what he knows. This is what Jairus knows. The situation is still dire. It's still bad. I don't know about you, but if my 12-year-old daughter was in that situation, I'd be looking at Jesus and just asking, can we, can we jog? You healthy enough to speed it up a little bit here? Can we take this route to make sure that we don't get stopped up by nobody else? Just come with me. Come, 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 come. And, and yet, Jesus is continuing His path. He's, he's going to be going through a city and Jairus knows all the hype about Jesus and how people are flocking to Him. And he's just hoping that somehow, some way, we can get home and we're not going to be altered and nobody's going to stop what Jesus is going to do for me. And he knows the situation is still dire. But hope has been born because Jesus has listened and Jesus is on the way to His house. The Bible tells us that as he's passing through town, there was someone else who needed Jesus too. And this woman comes with this issue of blood that she had for all these years as he touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus felt virtue leave his body and the woman was healed. And then Jesus does exactly what Jairus was hoping he would. All of a sudden, the procession stops. We're not moving towards his daughter's house anymore. Jesus' mind isn't on Jairus anymore. Jairus is just kind of leading the way and hoping that Jesus will continue to follow, but Jesus stops. And he looks around and he says, who touched me? And no doubt Jairus thought the same thing that, that Jesus' disciples did. What, what do you mean, who touched you? We're, we're trying to push ourselves through this crazy crowd to get to my daughter's house. To get to my daughter. And Jesus begins this conversation with this woman about being healed and about being whole and about her faith. And no doubt Jairus is somewhat frustrated with why did it, we stop, but now Jairus, I want you to just picture, enter with me to Jairus' life here. I mean, he's heard about all the great things Jesus has done. Hadn't he? That's why he went and sought him out. He's heard about this miracle-working man, the Son of God, and he's finally got him. But now he actually sees it. And he's a little bit frustrated because we stopped here. My daughter's about to die, but this woman just got healed of something she's been dealing with for 12 years by touching this man. And no doubt, faith is stirred up in Him. 
No doubt he's thinking, come on, let's go. I see you field. I see you are who you say you are. Now let me get you to my daughter. And finally, we don't really know. If you read the text, it would seem that it was just like a 60-second altercation. No doubt it was not that way. There was some time there. That the, there was some communication that happened. The, the, the thing stopped. And finally they start moving again. But just as they start moving, Jairus sees somebody familiar. They were his friends or family. Somebody close to him who was back at the home that he left. And they come and he can tell by the look on their face it's too late. And he hears the words nobody wants to hear. Your daughter died. It's too late. You should have come two days ago. You shouldn't have waited this long. Now it's too late. She's dead. And they they, they make this statement. Verse 35. The last sentence. Why trouble the teacher any further? It's amazing how <clears throat> right when hope seems to give birth and right when all of a sudden we, we, God's beginning to do something in our life or in your life and, 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 and faith is starting to grow that, that somehow, some way, the enemy finds a way to try to finish what he was doing and try to diminish that hope and try to get you to turn around. And now he says, not only is it too late, not only is your daughter dead, but really you're just a trouble to Jesus. Don't bother him. He has more important things to do. What a terribly discouraging place to be. Do you ever feel that way? That Maybe you're just a bother. God has more important things to do, more important people to help, more, more important and, and, and things that are just not quite so bothersome as you are. That's what the devil wants you to think. Listen to me this morning. You're not trouble to Jesus. You're not trouble to Him. You're not a bother to Him. Don't you ever believe that devilish lie. He loves you. And He's so full, as we studied a few weeks ago, so rich in mercy, rich in grace, rich in power. It doesn't matter how great your need is this morning. It doesn't matter how dire your need is this morning. It doesn't matter how it might seem like it's too late or it might seem like so much needs to happen. God has an unexhaustible wealth of resources. He's not just a resource. He is the source of hope. The source of life. The source of healing and wholeness and hope and everything that we need. And you are not a trouble to Jesus this morning. Have you ever been there and felt like it's just too late? Is there anything in your life this morning that you've given up on? Maybe you're about to give up on something. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's the hope that your child will ever turn back around and love God. Maybe it's your financial situation. Maybe it's your job situation. Just 
We all give up. Maybe I'm just going to be, you know, uh, angry forever. I'm just going to be depressed forever. It's just who I am. It's just I've seen God do other things. I've, you know, it's just like Jairus. I watched him heal her, but why not me? Her life was changed in a moment, but why not me? You ever felt that way? You watch God touch everybody else. God saved everybody else. God changed everybody else's life. God fixed this person's marriage. God fixed these people's lives. God helped this person accomplish that. God helped this person up out of depression. And like Jairus, you're sitting there and you're thinking, but not me. And in that moment, and at some stage in every one of our lives, we're faced with the same thing that happened to Jairus. Because here's what the world said, and here's what the facts said. Too late, man. You should have got things right with Jesus before your daughter was on her deathbed. You shouldn't have waited so long. Now it's too late. And as his entire world falls apart right there, hope was built up. Jesus was on the way to the house. The miracle-working, life-giving man, the healer, was coming to touch his daughter. Everything crumbles. She's dead. Don't trouble him anymore. And Jesus says this. He turns and he looks at Jairus and says, Do not fear. Your daughter will live. Now he's faced with a choice. Am I going to believe what Jesus says or am I going to believe what they say? Hmm. Do I tell them, you know, thanks, that's really encouraging and that's a great thing that I, I, you know, I would expect Jesus to say, but I know these people. I mean, these aren't just people I don't trust. These, are, these were my comrades looking over the home for me to get back. They, didn't, they know she's dead. And what they said is true. It's too late. As you look at Jesus and say, seriously, just turn and go. Just go. It's too late. You know, I've seen people do that. They don't want to, they, they've already got it settled in their mind, settled in their heart. No, Jesus can't fix it. He could have fixed it back then, but He can't fix it now. He was the God of yesterday, but He's not the God of today. And I know that He could make my world better later and, and, and that maybe someday there'll be hope, but not today. No, today's a bad day. Everything's just not going to work. Jesus, there's nothing He can do about it. When you make up your mind, that is what you believe. That, my brothers and sisters, is what you will experience. And they were faced with a decision. Do I believe the Word of God? Or do I believe what this world has to tell me about my situation? Can I tell you that Christianity is not always easy. Can I tell you that grabbing hold of God's will for your life and the promises of God for your life is not always easy? And it doesn't always go as planned. It just doesn't. Things happen. Things get in the way. You're on your way to exactly what needs to happen and boom, somebody else needs Jesus' attention. Someone else is getting healed. The faith 
Raw Christianity is a willingness to say, God, I don't understand it all, but I know that You're good. And I know that You're faithful. And I know that somehow, when I can't see it all, and it seems dark and hopeless, You work all things out to the good of those who love You and are called according to Your purpose. And somehow, someway in this darkness, there must be light. Somehow, in the way of this despair, there must be hope. And I will be faithful to you and I will follow you and I will obey you even when this world tells me it's too late. It's not always easy. It doesn't always go as planned. Your marriage might be falling apart and you think, well, I'm going to go to church. Good. You should. Well, I'm going to turn my heart to God. Good. You should. But listen to the preacher this morning. There's no guarantee that that means Jesus is going to go straight from point A to point B and do it exactly like you thought it needed done. And you better believe there's going to be some discouragement along the way to step in and say, oh, you started too late. Let me tell you something about what the Bible teaches us. The Apostle Paul, he has a lot to say about, I finished the race, I fought the fight, the good fight of faith. He has a lot to say about that. Paul doesn't talk about starting too much. It's not really about how you start. It's about how you finish. It's not really about how well you start. It's about how well you finish. How slow or how fast you started. It's all about staying faithful and keeping my eyes on Jesus. Because it doesn't always work out like we want it to. So we see there's a dual message. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Only believe. He permitted no one to follow Him except Peter, James, and John. Jesus takes His three closest disciples and He continues the procession to Jairus' house. The Bible says when they got there, Jesus looked at those that were weeping. And one of the things you have to understand about this culture and this custom, and I'm not mocking it, I'm not making fun of it, I'm not even commenting on it, I'm just telling you factual information. There were professional hired mourners that they would pay to come in and weep and mourn when somebody died. It was um, considered respectful. The same way that we would go to a funeral, it was considered respectful to show uh, publicly pain and Um, displeasure and hurt and sadness because the family had just lost their life. And so not only did you have at times paid mourners in a situation, the same type of um, overemphasizing the terribleness of the situation was customary by the family members. So in other words, you didn't just have these paid people mourning and the family over here sitting and letting them mourn. Everybody was mourning in a very um, noticeable way. Unmeasured, we're mourning. Jesus shows up and that's what's happening here with these people mourning. And the Bible tells us something interesting. Jesus looks at them and, and basically said, don't mourn, the girl's only sleeping. Now you have to understand something about the Bible. The Bible refers to sleeping as to what we refer to as death. He wasn't saying she wasn't, that, her heart had, wasn't, that her heart hadn't stopped beating. He wasn't saying that she was still breathing. 
He was just stating the fact, I'm, ra- I'm going to raise this girl back to life. And here's what it says. It says they ridiculed him. The word ridicule, in this context, it means to tease. It means to joke. It means to laugh. It means to poke humor at. And so these incredible mourners who were just totally distraught turned from mourning to poking and laughing and joking fun that fast because Jesus said she's going to live. There's such a vast difference between real, authentic people and those that are just part of a show. Such a difference between Jesus and His response to this man's situation and everybody else. The same is true today. But Jairus is there with his wife. Jesus is there with his three disciples. You know what Jesus says? He says, put everybody out of the house. Get them out of here. Why would Jesus say that? I want you to hear me this morning. If you're a non-believer, you need to hear me. If you're a Christian, you need to hear me. What I'm about to tell you has an application to every one of our lives. We learn... Matter of fact, if you just look over at Mark chapter 6 and verse 5, it says this of Jesus. Now, He could do no mighty work there except that He laid His hands on a few sick people and healed them, and He marveled because of their unbelief. The unbelief in our hearts keeps Jesus from doing what He wants to do in our hearts. I don't understand it all. I don't want to get into the theological debate of it. But the reality is this. Our faith in the Word of God, our willingness to obey God and embrace what He says is true and believe it has some form of effect. It ties together to the manifestation of God's working in our lives. And Jesus said, get all the unbelief out of this house. I have a job to do here. I've come to raise this woman from the dead. I have come to give hope to this man whom I promised hope to. And in order for me to do what I need to do, we've got to get out all of this false unbelief and these people who ridicule what I have told them. There are still people today who ridicule what Jesus says who ridicule the Word of God, who ridicule the reality that even though the world seems to fall apart, there's still a God on the throne. And they ridiculed him. Jesus said, get the unbelief out of the house. And here's the principle. We've got to learn to get the unbelief out of the house. We're in the world, but not of the world. I want you to understand something. I'm not saying that as a Christian, you should never have any friends who are non-Christians. But here's what I am telling you. You hang out around unbelieving people enough who ridicule the work of God, who mock Jesus, who refuse to believe the Bible, who refuse to follow Jesus. You hang out around that enough and it will affect you in an incredibly negative way. And if you really want to see Jesus move in your house, you've got to get the unbelief out. 
This is true in our friendships. This is true in the church. This is true in, in every category. And so Jesus removes them out of the house. And He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with Him, that's being His three disciples, and He entered where the child was lying. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. The Bible says immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. Jesus raised this girl from the dead. Jesus changed everything with His Word and one simple touch. Can I tell you this morning that no matter how dire your situation is, no matter how bad you may feel things are, no matter how it might seem too late, understand it just takes one touch from Jesus, one word from Jesus to change your entire world. God can do in one moment of time what you could not accomplish in 50 years of life. He is that able. He is that great. He is that above all things of this world. He is able to do above and abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. And in one moment, one touch of time, Jesus did what everybody said He could not. And He can do the same thing in your life. The difference was, Jesus was in the house. The reason most of us don't let Jesus in the house is we don't want His rules too. And because we don't want His rules, and we don't want to, we don't want to obey Him, we don't want Him to be Lord, we keep Him outside the house. But when Jesus is outside of the house, there's darkness, there's death, there's sickness, there's pain, there's anger, there's hatred, there's frustration, there's, there's envy, there's strife, there's all these things that ultimately lead to death when Jesus isn't in the house. But I'm here to tell you, when Jesus is in the house, when He's in your house, when He's in the church house, when He's in your own personal house, that being you, your life, when, when He indwells you, darkness gives way to light. Death becomes life. Despair becomes hope. There is power in the name of Jesus. And when He's in the house, it changes everything. Amen. It's never too late with God. This morning, whatever you're facing, it's not too late in your life. I'm going to ask our worship team to get prepared for an invitation. You feel like it's too late this morning? Do you feel like, Pastor, you don't know how bad my situation is. We already, designed the, we already signed the divorce papers. I've already been diagnosed with three to four months to live. I, I've all, there, there's no hope. Let me ask you an honest question. And I want you to be honest with yourself. Is your situation worse than Jairus's? Be honest. Quit making excuses for why you're holding on to your despair, why you're holding on to your depression, why God can't change it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Your situation isn't any worse than His. 
Your situation ain't any worse than a woman with the issue of blood for 12 years who spent all that she had and only grew worse. You've got to get your ears off of the negativity of this world and all the people that say you can't and the voices in your head that say it's not possible. And you've got to get your eyes on Jesus and you've got to tune out all the the lies of this world and tune your ears to Jesus who simply said, don't be afraid, just believe. He is able. It's never too late when Jesus is in the house. Father, I pray that You move all across this room. Finish what You started this morning in Jesus' name. God, I pray that You'd rise up within somebody a a spirit of, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. It isn't too late. It's never too late. I pray this morning we do some house cleaning. Get the unbelief out. Get the junk out that's keeping you from having your way with us and and truly giving life to hope inside of us. Jesus' name. Lord, I don't know who I've been speaking to this morning. But God, I pray, Father, right now you finish what you started. I pray this morning the sinners will be saved.